Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to the Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host, and I've got to say, you folks have never looked better. I mean, especially you over there, yeah, driving that car, and uh, you over there listening on those headphones. You you guys look amazing. I'm, I'm so glad to have you here with me again this week. Thank you for taking time out of your lives to take advantage of the show I've prepared for you today. I am working on, uh, from a format that i got to say I've, I haven't worked on in a long, long time, I've printed off the outline today on, on real physical paper. I can't tell you how long it's been since I've d- done that. Uh, I remember, oh, maybe two, two years ago, maybe three years ago, uh, a feller, after I'd started the last symptom, he he got in touch with me and to kind of praise my work and just kind of get to know me. And he said, "What's your uh, email? I'll send you something through email." And I said, "You know, I don't really use email." And he said, "You don't use email." I said, "No, I really don't. I mean, I I message people through different messaging apps, and that's kind of how I conduct business." He couldn't believe it. But I'll tell you what, at that time, I had an, an iPad, and I was convinced at that time that the iPad had superseded the computer, that there was really no need for a computer, and, and I got by for a long time with just an iPad. So, <laughs> I guess I'm always ahead of things. I'm, I'm too far ahead of things. You know, like, we should be able to walk around and do everything we need to do on a little tablet or on a our phones. I mean, I, I don't see why the technology is not there, to be honest with you. And yet, they've still got us using laptops and stuff like that. So, uh, as the last symptom has grown, and my work with the last symptom has grown, and it's gotten more complex, obviously, I have gone to using a laptop. I'm using a laptop right now to record this. Got a, a fancier mic that when I started out, originally with the last symptom and and I've just upgraded my equipment as I've gone on you know the the finances that come in and the support that I get for doing the last symptom a a lot of that just goes right back into the last symptom and one of those things is a printer I just bought a printer haven't owned one in I'm not kidding 10 years the last laptop I owned before I bought one for my last symptom work 
the last laptop I owned was in 2011 and uh, I was you know going through my borderline personality disorder crisis at that time and I sold it on Craigslist uh, for much less than it was worth but I just needed the money I was so poor um, and that's what I did over the years I sold a bunch of stuff but anyway I I now own a printer it's the first printer I've owned since 2011 so 10 solid years and I've printed out my outline for tonight for this show and so you're going to hear some papers wrestling maybe but it's, it's just a new experience for me and uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to start filing these things away in a in a physical folder so that I'll have them. What do I have in store for you? Well, we're going to do a follow-up conversation to one of my orange slices from this week. What are orange slices? Well, I'll tell you about them here in just a minute or two. The primary topic for today is responsibility, the chain of responsibility. Have you ever wondered if your parents are responsible for you having developed an emotional disorder like borderline personality disorder or narcissism, for example, doesn't that mean then that they are ultimately responsible for the results of your life the regretful things you've later gone on to do like the way you've treated others or the emotional stress you've caused your own children or any of the other results from having a disorder good question isn't it I bet a lot of you have have uh, oh chewed over this these thoughts yourself well we're going to talk about this in a way that hopefully puts everything into harmonious healthy perspective because it's something I had to sort through myself for campfire stories I'm going to tell you about my dear Argentine friend Mr. Ruggieri who I haven't seen in a decade can you believe that I just got the hiccups trying to record this show too dang late and I got the hiccups well we're going to try to get through it anyway somebody scare me drop a book on the table or something scream at me do something to fix these hiccups because yeah, <laughs> this is going to take forever holy mackerel <sighs> well I bet that's a first for you first time hearing somebody have the hiccups on a on a show like this goodness gracious Ugh. anyway I'm going to tell you about my good old friend my Argentine friend Mr. Ruggieri who I haven't seen in a decade directly as a result of the fallout from my big borderline personality disorder crisis but I'm going to tell you a little story about him and something incredible that happened one day in Philadelphia also today, we're going to talk about something that you might not have ever stopped to reflect on, and that's highlights from the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I'm referring to 
things during the year-long pandemic that were just exceptionally good and enjoyable and sort of put a positive twist on the whole pandemic experience. But before we get into all these good things, let me tell you about TheLastSymptom.com. TheLastSymptom.com is home base. Yeah, it's the starting point for anybody interested in my work with The Last Symptom. It offers hours upon hours of free resources that I hope you will take advantage of. And if you're listening to this program, it means you've already started because this show, now nearing the end of its third season, is just one of the free resources that I make available for everybody. TheLastSymptom.com offers some paid resources too and this is primarily how my work is supported and I'm able to continue doing it. The paid resources in addition to donations and um, got a couple donations here last couple weeks that I you know who you are and I just want to say you know I'm always humbled uh, by donations because people do them voluntarily they don't have to do them and and it just it just shows me that they appreciate what I'm doing and, and uh, it certainly helps me to continue going so thank you so much to uh, two individuals in particular I hope you know who I'm talking about if you're if you're the person who donated I'm not I'm not suggesting that all of you out there should know who I'm talking about uh, let's see here number one in importance on the modest list of paid services I offer would have to be the last symptom fundamentals course which is an intensive comprehensive two-week course designed for anybody interested in authentically recovering from borderline personality disorder or any emotional disorder let me share with you a real testimonial from somebody who just finished the last symptom fundamentals course last week or the week before it's just very recently here's what this person has to say I've already completed the last symptom fundamentals course I couldn't help myself I have a week off work so just couldn't wait to do it all I did heed your advice not to rush through it but I'm a pretty quick learner and very enthusiastic I will definitely be going back again as well while I have access and questions for sure I've written plenty of notes as well all the way through the course I really can't say enough good positive things about doing the course I would like to write a more in-depth review but for now I will say it's been a wonderful experience for me I was wondering how much more I could really get out of it as I've been listening to your message and seemingly understood the message but doing the course really has cemented everything for me I understand guilt versus shame a lot more than before which is huge and also forgiveness versus acceptance I have actually been dreaming about it so I know for sure it's getting through to my subconscious mind Thank you for creating this course, Brian. It really was worth it to me. I feel free. Your hard work paid off here all day long. 
I've been experiencing and getting to know myself so much more than I ever knew, which just blows my mind. As I was super sure, I knew the truth. Knowing that my twisted truth wasn't the actual truth is like waking up from an eternal nightmare, only to realize, even though it all felt so real and true, it's all bull poo. <laughs> bull poo, she says. <laughs> Most freeing thing ever. Just so many things I could talk about for hours. So there you go. That's honest-to-goodness feedback. I just got here in the past several days about the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. I'm excited for this new alumni, and I can't wait to see the sharp change in direction her life begins taking from here on out. Uh, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, it's pre-recorded, and you can take it at your convenience. Other paid resources I offer, one-on-one -on -one phone conversations and one-on-one -on -one Zoom video conversations with me. All these things can be accessed or scheduled from thelastsymptom.com. Finally, please join us on our thriving online community at thelastsymptom.locals.com or download the locals.com app from the App Store and search The Last Symptom. So again, that's locals, L-O-C-A-L-S. One resource that I only make available there in our community at thelastsymptom.locals.com is the daily orange slices. Remember I mentioned those before. What are they? They are daily condensed video insights that on average are 5 to 10 minutes in length. So very short and sweet but I try to pack a lot of insights and good things to ruminate over in them. Again, in order to take full advantage of these daily orange slice videos, you have to be a member of our online community at thelastsymptom.locals.com or download the locals.com app from the app store and search The Last Symptom. All right, well, I want to tell you my story about my Argentine friend, Mr. Ruggieri. But we're going to push that to the end of today's show, all right? Uh, for now, let's get into the highlights of the pandemic. Now, this is a list I started here uh, not too long ago where I just started thinking about the last year, you know, last summer, oh, between March and let's say when I got the vaccine, which I know is a, a sensitive subject for people who don't want to get the vaccine that's fine as i've explained before you it's, it affects me not one bit if you don't get the vaccine but uh that's when i consider the, the end of the pandemic was when i got the last shot the second shot of the uh, moderna vaccine by the way you are you curious about how that affected me well, i'll tell you it uh, it knocked me out for a couple of days yeah Real high fever, uh, body aches, couldn't sleep very well. But for two days, a very small price to pay, I think, for peace of mind. And you got to remember, I'm somebody who worked in the hospital system for upwards of 16, 17 years. And um, for the longest time, I'd get the flu, I mean the proper flu, three or four times a year. And... 
it was so inconvenient and just terrible i mean i just hate getting sick and uh so i i started getting the flu shot religiously and of course when you work in a hospital when you're on staff in a hospital they inject you with all (laughs) sorts of things i mean you're inoculated against everything and so you know it, it become a just an accepted part of my career choice uh, but I'll tell you this about the flu shot. The moment I started getting the flu shot, yearly and religiously, uh, I, I went from getting the flu four or five times every flu season. Because when you work in a hospital, I mean, you come into contact with everything. And, and, and it's like that working in a school, too. But uh, when I started getting the flu shot, I went from getting the flu four or five, six times a year to only getting it maybe once a year and that's true that's a true story so i mean i believe in vaccines and uh, to this day i still get the flu shot religiously so you know when this uh covid vaccine come out i was first in line and um but again if, you, if you're not into the, <laughs> the covid vaccine it's got nothing to do with me but you know that's i consider the the length of the pandemic from march to about april when i finally got the the code vaccine and i was walking around without you know life returned to normal for me here in this little town where i'm at i realize that a lot of you listening that's not been the case yet but it will be so you just hang in there so during the whole duration of the pandemic which was a year uh give or take a month i started i sat down and i started thinking about good things good things that happened during that year and i started creating a list now some of these things seem pretty superficial but if you imagine that the world had kind of stopped couldn't go out and do nothing for a while there and uh there weren't any new movies coming out i mean everything on tv was reruns and even baseball season was a total wash by the way you folks out there in la uh i hope you understand that the dodgers winning the world series does not count in 2020 that wasn't a real baseball season oh i'm gonna lose i'm gonna make some people angry with that but don't get too angry you guys have the red sox star player uh, mookie Betts over there i'm kind of sore about that but you know happy for you that you've got such a an amazing talent i mean what he did for us for the red sox was just incredible but you know i don't baseball was a wash the whole ba- i didn't even watch baseball in 2020 even when they started the half season thing because I'm not going to sit around and listen to listen to fake cheering and look at cardboard cutouts in the stands and it uh, it was a total loss. But there were good things that come out of the pandemic. And of course, the the things that I would consider good would be different from the things you consider good. So, it might be a good exercise for you to sit down and start creating your own list of good things or highlights of the pandemic you know this is something you can tell your grandchildren about and all you got to do is you got to just open up your notes app on your phone and you just start a list 
it doesn't have to be comprehensive you just get her started and then when you're driving to work and you're just daydreaming or just you know your mind's just wandering new things will come to you and you can add to the list here's my current list highlights of the pandemic number one michael jordan and bulls documentary called the last dance i can't tell you how excited i was for that to come on tv the last dance which was a documentary about michael jordan the last season that he played with the bulls and uh their dominance in the basketball world i really liked basketball back then i don't now i haven't liked basketball in, you know for eh, it's not make me older than i need to Thir- 30 years uh 28 years something like that but man that took me back to when michael jordan and the bulls were dominating the basketball world and seeing this was this documentary was on film so a lot of the images were just so crisp and you know like high definition 4k really enjoyable number two joe bob briggs and the last drive-in so (laughs) uh joe bob briggs is a guy who used to do he's over the years he has had different shows where he hosts uh, sort of a mini marathon of kind of B movies and horror movies and he calls them drive-in movies uh, you folks outside the states know what a drive-in is that's where you drive up and you've seen it in movies it's where you drive up in a car and you watch a movie in your car uh, or you get out you know with some lawn chairs and you sit in front of your car but the the thing is you're outside and you're watching a movie on an outdoor screen and uh, Joe Bob Briggs now hosts this show called The Last Drive-In and it's exclusive to Shudder S-H-U-D-D-E-R which is sort of like Netflix but for horror movies horror movies and weird sci-fi movies and B-movies and so during the pandemic he continued to host The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs and it would uh, it would stream live every Friday night for a few months I think it was from April to June or something like that or March to June or March to April but uh, man I really look forward to that in fact that was the way I kicked off my weekend during the pandemic was just to to get my drinks ready get my popcorn ready uh, get all set up and tune in to watch live Joe uh, the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs so uh, of course Joe Bob's never going to hear this but gosh I'd love to thank him in person for providing such a thing to look forward to during the pandemic by the way I met him I met Joe Bob Briggs in Columbus Ohio at a a 24-hour science uh, no it wasn't a science fiction movie marathon was it I go to a a sci-fi marathon every year and I go to a horror marathon every year in Columbus and I've been doing so for a long long time 30 years and he was the guest just about three or four years ago 
and uh, he sat right next to me. He's originally from Texas, and, and I, I'm not kidding. He sat in the chair right next to me. It was reserved for him, and those were the seats we we picked when we come in. And uh, so when when he got there, he just come in, sat right next to me, and and we watched these goofy movies together, and we were leaning over and commenting on the movie the whole the whole night through. So it was pretty cool. And then afterwards. Uh, he was taking pictures, signing autographs, and that sort of thing. And I got his autograph, and I, I feel weird about getting up my picture with somebody like that because I think, you know, the real value in it is just in the memory of it, right? So I know that I met him, I shook hands with him. Why do I have to prove it to anybody? Like if I tell you I met Joe Bob Briggs and you don't believe me, what's that to me? <laughs> it's nothing to me because I still got the memory of actually having met him. So I don't feel like I need a picture of myself with any celebrity. But um, but I asked if I could take a picture of him, and he said, yeah, of course. And so I just took a picture of him standing there. Uh, number three, the movie Bill and Ted Face the Music. Of course, this was the third sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. For me, this was an enormous uh, positive during the pandemic. It, the movie just set the perfect tone. It was fun. It was happy. It felt like you were spending time with old friends. And it was just a lot of fun. I just thought it was really well done. Bill and Ted faced the music. I uh, felt, gosh, this movie could not have come out at a better time. It was just perfectly pulled off. Um, let's see, next, the creation and release of the Last Symptom Fundamentals course that I had just finished telling you about. I had two successful live courses right before the pandemic started. I had one, and then during the pandemic, right in the middle of the pandemic, I had the second successful uh, live course. And then eventually, I recorded the pre-recorded online format which uh, is now available to you and you know that was a lot of work but I put it put the work in and it's now uh, it's now out there doing a lot of good for people uh, next the creation of a special online group for fundamentals course alumni members and the pleasure of continuing to keep tabs with those folks and watching the alumni interact and continue to grow uh, next getting to see Hamilton the Broadway musical on Disney Plus love that love Hamilton uh, the music's fantastic I mean I, that guy the guy who um, created Hamilton th that's his opus I, I don't think he's ever going to outdo himself with that and um, you know there's things I don't like about it for example uh, as a white guy it's not lost on me that the only people who um, appear in Hamilton the Music who are white, <laughs> male, are bad guys. So there's definitely a statement there. And it's a racist statement, and I don't like it. But overall, Hamilton the Musical is a work of uh, perfection. I mean, it's just really well done. I just wish that, uh, you know, the, the folks who are behind it, the, the creators of it, I wish they could be more honest, emotionally honest with themselves about uh, what their underlying perspectives are. 
and correct those because I, you know, racism is racism and racism is wrong. Doesn't matter what form it takes. Um, let's see here. Moving to a different house, setting up a larger, more comfortable studio space, which I'm talking to you from now. That was uh, a wonderful blessing, and um, you know, the, and it continues to evolve. If you've been watching the daily orange slices, you've seen it evolving in real time behind me, because I've I've spent my time making constant improvements to it. Uh, next, my road trip to Mississippi to meet and bring home my new dog Orson as a pup and his integration into my life. Yeah, he was just out here earlier with me and uh, yeah, I've got him in bed now so that he won't be distracting me. But <clears throat> that dog, I, it's just been a pleasure to watch him grow from this <laughs> ornery uh, pup into somebody that I'm beginning to actually feel a strong, a strong connection with. And he's different. He's really different from Bradbury, my primary dog. But um, it was the right thing to do, to go to take my road trip down to Mississippi. I drove all the way down there and drove back. And, in fact, I have a really nice memory of talking to somebody who was trying to sort some things out for himself or herself. And uh, on my way back from Mississippi, from picking Orson up, I talked to this person on the phone. Uh, the person had scheduled a, a one-on-one call with me, and we ended up talking for like three hours. That person kept me company through like three different states on my drive back and uh, was very understanding. Every time I had to stop and get Orson, the little tiny puppy, out so that he could pee and poop and do his thing, and uh, it was just a really nice memory I've got. But anyway, Orson, new member of my life and and um, a member of my life that I, I value highly. Uh, next, the last symptom, moving to locals. The last symptom, social media group or community moving to locals. That happened during the pandemic. Daily orange slice videos added to my regular work schedule. Losing 20 pounds of pandemic weight and then later putting it all back on. (laughs) Successfully arranging my weekly schedule so that the last symptom content consistently publishes at a set, dependable, uh, on set, dependable days and times. This might be the most, um, the sweetest one. The the one that I I still shake my head over in just uh, pleasure and and excitement seeing my daughter go from not even being able to recite the full alphabet to learning to read perfectly in both English and Spanish I'm so proud of her she's so smart and her reading is so good and that's the foundation of everything Next, having met hundreds of brand new people of various backgrounds and circumstances through my work with The Last Symptom over the past year. And finally, learning finger-picking style on my guitar, which I had put off for 20 years or more. So that's my list. 
of blessings that came out of the pandemic or highlights of the pandemic and um, hopefully it will encourage you to start your own running list you tell your grandkids about it you can reflect on that this period of time through uh, out the years and and uh, you know how we say you have the choice to choose how you will think about any particular thing so I told you that today's primary conversation is about a follow-up to an orange slice that I did this week and that's orange slice 115 it was titled Ted Bundy if you're in the states you know probably know who he is if you're outside the states you might not he was a a serial killer back in the 70s and I talked a little bit in that orange slice about some of the underlying things that he was dealing with and uh, related them to things that you might be dealing with or somebody you know might be dealing with certainly attitudes and perceptions that I was dealing with when I had my emotional disorder one of those things I focused on was that he wouldn't accept responsibility for anything and you know it was something that I struggled with when I was confronted with the fallout from all the behaviors that uh, I was engaging in during my borderline personality disorder crisis yeah at at the beginning of my crisis here's what I remember about that is that my wife Diana she wanted to force me into going and getting professional help and I submitted to that I, I went I went to wherever she told me to go I did whatever she told me to do and I, you know, looking back on that, what I was hoping was that I was—I just wanted to delay any consequences. That was my reason for doing those things. It wasn't because I really wanted to get healthy. In fact, um, it was a—it was a major inconvenience in my life that she knew about my behaviors, and that was she was uh, pressuring me to do something about it. I didn't like that, but. I knew she had some really valid reasons for divorcing me if she wanted to. I didn't like being inconvenienced that way. So I didn't like being inconvenienced to trying to have to save my marriage. And as twisted as that is, I'm sure that a lot of people, if you're honest with yourselves, you can probably identify with it, with that type of thinking. For a while, I rejected any notion that I had that I was dealing with any sort of disorder or anything like that. But once I realized that it would work to my benefit to admit it, it would work to my benefit to admit or or at least claim that I was dealing with some sort of disorder, then I started claiming, yes, yes, I do have a disorder. Now, at the time, it was an emotional emotional disorder was not the terminology I was using. I was actually claiming to have a mental health issue because that's what the professional community teaches you, right? Everything's a mental health issue. And so here I was walking around telling everybody I was crazy. Hey, I've got a mental health issue. That's what mental health is. You know, if, if your mental faculties are not operating correctly, you're crazy. Now, maybe that's not the 
the preferred terminology for people who are actually dealing with mental health issues, but that's what we're talking about. Mental health refers to the operation or the functioning of your mental capacities, your brain. And because the professional community was telling me that that's what I was dealing with, I just said, okay, well, fine. Uh, if it'll prevent me from getting a divorce, whatever. Uh, tell me I've got a third eye growing on my elbow. I'll, I'll claim that I do. Just whatever you say, that's what I'll say. So initially, I began to actually defend all of my behaviors by embracing the idea that I was dealing with some sort of quote-unquote mental health issue. Again, at, the, at that time, I had not had time to fully do the work to understand that I wasn't dealing, I was not dealing with a mental health anything, but that instead I was dealing with an emotional disorder. But for simplicity's sake, Let's just say that I embraced the idea of having a disorder, all right? And I began to put responsibility for all my behaviors and actions on the disorder. So, you know, uh, my wife would start talking about consequences, and I'd say, well, how can, how can you put these consequences on me? I have an emotional disorder. Actually, I was saying I have a mental health issue so uh, it just doesn't seem fair to me for you to be holding me to these consequences because clearly if I have this mental health issue and I'm not in control why would you do this to me why would you hold me to these consequences was I wrong about having an emotional disorder when I was saying oh hey yeah wait a second why, why are you so mad at me uh, I have an emotional disorder you see it's not my fault I got this emotional disorder was I wrong about having an emotional disorder no I wasn't wrong about that it was the truth I, I did have an emotional disorder did the emotional disorder help explain many of my behaviors yeah it sure did it sure helped explain many of my behaviors was it true that the responsibility for my behaviors belonged to the disorder? No. No, not at all. Maybe you say, well, wait a second. How can that be true? How can that be true? If you had an emotional disorder and the disorder is the reason you did certain things, why then doesn't the responsibility for your actions belong to the disorder? Well, before we answer that, let's go back to Ted Bundy. Now, here's the thing about Ted Bundy, the serial killer. He killed 30 people, by the way. Ted Bundy deflected responsibility for his own actions to lots of things. And one of those things that stood out to me was his grandfather. Ted Bundy said the reason he killed... Now, get this. Ted Bundy said the reason he killed 30 people 
was because of his grandfather being abusive. Try to digest that. The reason Ted Bundy went out and killed 30 people was because his grandfather was abusive. Now, that takes me back to my own recovery when I was trying to sort out and understand the broader significance of these sorts of issues for myself. It didn't take too long for me to recognize that the reason I had developed borderline personality disorder was because of my parents' emotional abuse. And clearly, I had done lots of rotten things that I probably would not have done if I had not had borderline personality disorder. So then, wasn't it my dad's responsibility for all of the ways I had behaved? The answer is yes. My dad bears some responsibility for it. But here's the thing. He doesn't bear primary responsibility for it. Let's think this through. Let's reason it out. What would it mean if I could attribute the primary responsibility for my actions to my dad because he was the one who emotionally abused me? That would mean that we'd then have to grant my father the same reprieve right we'd have to cut him the same slack right it's it that's the way it works what's good for the goose is good for the gander after all the reason why we'd have to cut my father the same slack is that it was my grandfather his dad who emotionally abused him and in doing so taught my dad to adopt these emotionally abusive attitudes and perspectives in the first place, right? Now imagine me at the beginning of my recovery wanting so much to be let off the hook by my wife, by my friends, by the people around me. I want them to let me off the hook. I want them to look at me and say, it's not his fault he's not responsible for this because he's got an emotional disorder and where did that come from his father yeah I want them to blame my dad so I'm at the beginning of my recovery I want to be left off the left let off the hook by all these people around me and I want them to place responsibility for all my behaviors on my father's emotional abuse now imagine me coming to the realization that if this is how things work then I have to let my father off the hook for all of his abuse which he had failed to demonstrate even the most microscopic amount of responsibility for oh now you can probably see the catch 22 I begin to find myself in you see, I want to be let off the hook, but I can't see any way in which this is acceptable for my dad. 
to cut to the chase here for just a second, it was not acceptable for my dad. And if it wasn't acceptable for my dad, it wasn't acceptable for me to be let off the hook either. But, for the sake of argument, let's say that we went ahead and applied that sort of dumb reasoning to my dad. We're going to let him off the hook. Because he was ignorant. You see, he was the victim, you see. Now what will we have to do? Well, we've applied that reasoning to my dad. We've let him off the hook because he was an abuse victim. And he was ignorant. Well, now we have to apply the same reasoning to my grandpa. Yeah, we got to let my grandpa off the hook now, you see. Because he obviously learned it from his father. And then what do we got to do? Well, then we got to apply the same reasoning to my great-grandfather, don't we? You see where this is going? So now I'm not responsible. My dad's not responsible. My granddad's not responsible. Great-granddaddy, he ain't responsible. Nobody's responsible on to infinity nobody ever has to accept responsibility for the bad things they've personally done or failed to do because the beginning of it might go on back to infinity here's why nothing and nobody else can be primarily responsible for anything we you and I do or don't do as adults it is all rooted in the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority which is simply a comprehensive way of talking about free will free will it's something that all adult free agents inherently possess each adult free agent, not children, but adult free agents, possess individual inherent rights. Each adult free agent possesses individual inherent responsibilities. Each adult free agent possesses individual inherent authority. When I talk about the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, which is a term I come up with, I think the tendency for people is to immediately hone in on and focus upon the rights and authority parts. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, I like that. I inherently have a bunch of rights and authority that nobody can grant me or take away from me? Oh yeah, I like that. The tendency is for people to sort of skip over and ignore the individual inherent responsibilities part. <laughs> oh dang, you mean I have things I'm inherently responsible for too? Yeah. And all of these things are balanced out. For example, are you a parent? 
the inherent rights and authority that come with being an adult free agent do not supersede or outweigh the inherent responsibilities that exist when you're a parent. You see, the responsibilities part, though it doesn't seem as woo-wee, carefree and fun, it balances out the other two, which are rights and authority. Yes, you do have inherent rights and authority that nobody can grant you or take away from you. But in the middle there are responsibilities that you have too. And those responsibilities counterbalance, in many cases, the rights, the inherent rights, and the inherent authority that you walk around with. If you'd like an in-depth conversation about the topic of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, please go to thelastsymptom.com and in the articles section of the site, find the article titled, The Law of Individual Inherent Rights, Responsibility, and Authority. But suffice it to say for now, the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, that is to say free will, means that as an adult, my dad's behaviors become his responsibility the instant he became an adult, regardless of what he knew or didn't know. Of course, the unhealthy attitudes that he lived with would have begun when he was dependent on his parents and when they were responsible for everything involving him and his life. However, it was my father who carried these unhealthy attitudes, perspectives, and behaviors into his adult life. Oh, what happens when you become an adult? Uh Uh-huh. That's when you uh, gain your individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. So when he become an adult, free agent, now who's responsible for him? His mommy and daddy? Nope. He is responsible for him. Does this mean he's he's just responsible for making sure he gets fed every day? Or, you know, that he takes time out for himself and re, for, for uh, relaxation and recreation? No. No. Responsibility carries a lot more than just those things. He also became responsible for whether or not he was going to continue with the same attitudes and thinking. So, the moment he become an adult, my dad's behaviors, his thinking, his attitudes, became his responsibility. The instant he become an adult, regardless of what he knew or didn't know, the ignorance now is not an excuse. Uh, it's like if I go to Russia, okay. I don't know the laws in Russia. <clears throat> I don't know. So I'm going to travel there. And now I break the law in Russia. And the government, or the law enforcement there, they, they arrest me, and they put me in jail. And my defense, my argument is, hey, I'm from the United States. I don't know what the laws are here. 
You know what they'd say to me? It's your responsibility to know what the laws are here. Ignorance is not an excuse. So, my dad passed from childhood to adulthood, and now these things become his responsibility. See, when we're talking about individual inherent responsibilities, these inherent responsibilities don't only apply to things we do, they also apply to things we fail to do. Once my dad become an adult, does it matter that he didn't know he had unhealthy attitudes and thinking? It doesn't matter. The responsibility for, for knowing doesn't go away just because you're ignorant. Because you could know if you wanted to. As far as responsibilities go, it don't matter what he knew or didn't know at that point. It was still his responsibility to know. It was his responsibility to analyze aspects of himself honestly, to use his individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority to examine himself and his attitudes and his thinking. In other words, it, it doesn't matter that he was ignorant because at any time he could have chosen to do the work to not be ignorant now if this is true for my dad even before he became my dad how much truer is it for after he become a father and now one of his individual inherent resp- inherent responsibilities is to completely provide for his son's emotional mental and physical needs at any time my dad could have honestly concluded that he wasn't happy with the way his own father had parented him and he could have studied that so as not to repeat it then at any time he could have looked at the way he treated those around him his girlfriends or wife or my mom, other family members as a single adult and have decided to study that and improve it. Later, he could have stopped to honestly consider the ways he behaved toward his family and he could have made up his mind to really examine himself completely honestly, identify those underlying issues and address them for real. Did he live up to his individual, inherent responsibility or free will? Did he utilize his free will this way? No, he he never did. He still has not. What it comes down to is that he probably passed the buck off to his parents any time he was uh, tempted to do this. You see... Any of the unhealthy issues I'm dealing with is their responsibility. So what was the result? The result is that this man who could have at any time used his free will to choose to identify and fix the underlying reasons for his abusive attitudes and behaviors 
did not do so. He chose instead not to ask the obvious questions and not to put in the time and interest that this would have required. So he passed on his emotionally unhealthy and abusive ways of thinking to me. You see, he's responsible for having done that to me. Nothing takes that away. And as long as I was a child, he also was responsible for everything resulting from my having that disorder. He put it there. I was under I was a dependent. I was dependent on him. He's responsible for it. So, that is to say, my resulting behaviors and attitudes and everything else that come from his unhealthy parenting was on him. But once I become an adult, what happened? What happened is that primary responsibility for all the choices I made or failed to make as an adult free agent myself passed over to me and only to me. Does it mean that my dad's not responsible at all? No, it only means that he's not primarily responsible for the results because I could have at any time taken it upon myself to truly attack the problem with genuine motives and genuine interest and I would have been successful see this is an interesting point the only reason I would have failed is if my motives were not genuine what does that mean well to put it in the simplest terms possible I would have only failed if I did not genuinely care. What's that mean? Well, people claim to be trying to recover from emotional disorders for the right reasons all the time. They claim this. But their motives, their true motives, are things like not losing partners, not getting divorced, not losing a house, or other material possessions, not losing the convenience of a cushy life or a convenient life they do it for fear of being alone they do it because they don't want the great you know greater inconveniences in their life but what is the common thread throughout all these things not caring enough you see you might do it for all these reasons I just mentioned but none of that is a reflection of caring enough for whatever reason, these folks haven't tapped into the sort of motivation that comes from true interest or true caring about not wanting to be unhealthy anymore. Period. So take a note of what I'm telling you. I'm plainly saying to you today that nobody who really cares about ridding themselves, who really cares about ridding themselves, of an emotional disorder will fail. Doesn't matter if they're being exposed to a bunch of misinformation. Doesn't matter if they're older. Doesn't matter if uh, you know they were 
raised in the 60s doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter if you care enough you'll be successful if you don't care enough you won't follow through you won't do it you'll be appeased and stop somewhere in the middle the authentic care part is something people tap into that is rare you know it's not based on anything except an intense genuine interest in accomplishing something for real nope not going to be happy just talking about it the only thing that's going to satisfy is success think about this caring enough caring enough got us to the moon your parents owed you that type of caring their parents owed them that type of caring and you owe yourself and your children or future children that type of caring it doesn't matter what I knew or didn't know from the time I become an adult until the year of my borderline personality disorder crisis every day and every year that I let pass without using my free will in a responsible way which again is just another way of talking about my individual inherent responsibilities to choose to get to the bottom of why I was treating people poorly or why my relationships never lasted or why I always felt empty despite having every good thing in my life that a person could wish for every day and every year that I let pass by without using my free will to put in the work to identify and fix those things is my responsibility so if you can imagine a family tree and you go back 400 years and let's say that you find the first person who for whatever reason began passing on emotional unhealth and disorder down to his children for every branch of that family tree when a new person appeared and become an adult and failed to live up to their individual inherent responsibilities that person is responsible for everything directly below him or her on the family tree not primarily responsible but responsible nonetheless it's a shared responsibility why not primarily responsible it's because each adult person who becomes primarily responsible in other words they become an adult each adult is responsible for themselves and everything they do or don't do do you see that at every new branch or new adult that appears on a family tree that person with free will and individual inherent responsibility represents a new possibility for the emotional unhealth that is being passed along in that specific family line to be snuffed out so that it doesn't continue in that family branch each person inherits inherits uh, that responsibility on the merits of being an adult free agent they've got free will they could do it if they just care enough 
So, in my personal recovery, I sat around thinking about this for a long, long time. You know, I wanted to hold my father accountable. At the same time, I wanted to be forgiven and uh, excused. And I wanted the uh, responsibility to not fall on me. I wanted people to say, nope, it's not his fault. It's the disorder's fault. I want that. At the same time, I want my father to be held accountable for the abuses I suffered. Well, the only way there's any harmony in that is if everybody, every adult free agent with free will and individual inherent responsibility is held to task, held responsible for what they could have changed if they had only chosen to change it. Really spent a lot of time looking for the rhythm to that riddle. Well, that's the show for today. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I got to tell you a story about my friend, Argentine friend, Mr. Ruggieri. Haven't seen him in 10 years, and he was dear to me. I really had a lot of affection for him, but uh, as a direct result of the fallout from my borderline personality disorder crisis, uh, he put um, some boundaries and distance between us. But I remember the thing about Mr. Ruggieri, he was kind of scatterbrained. I'd be in a conversation with him, and he'd just be talking about things I I had no context for. <laughs> and uh, he'd just be going along, going along, and I'd be listening to him. And it, it was almost like he was talking to himself. You know, like he's reliving this story or this experience in his head, and he's kind of talking out loud about it, but he hasn't provided me any context. And uh, so I'd listen to him just amused. <laughs> I just think he has no idea that I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> but I would stand there and just enjoy his company. And one day, one morning in Philadelphia, we were in uh, Ben Salem, Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. And he was telling me about this He's, he starts going into this thing where he's just talking to like nobody in particular and I'm standing there and I'm thinking he's giving me no context here but then he starts talking about this eagle the bird like an eagle that he has seen carrying a snake in its mouth and I think where is this coming from and I don't know if he's talking about like today or if he's talking about 20 years ago or what uh, Mr. Ruggieri was older than me uh, by by probably 25 years and so uh, you know you just kind of never knew where his mind was at <laughs> so he's telling this story it's this long winded story and he's going on and on and on and I'm kind of like uh huh uh huh I'm, I'm kind of like listening to the story but realizing that he's kind of off on this tangent and not <laughs> not fully sold on everything he's saying and he starts talking about this eagle that he saw with a snake in its mouth. And um, I'm kind of thinking like, yeah, right. It's, he saw a bird and had a twig in its mouth or something. And, he, you know, he's conflated this to be an eagle and this big majestic eagle and this big majestic snake. And But I'm just kind of standing there. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, he finishes talking. I'm just like, all right, well, have a nice day, Mr. Ruggieri. He's like, yeah, well, you too. 
and it walks off and I just think uh, I have no idea what he was talking about I don't even know if that's true I don't know if I don't know if he's just if he had a dream like he dreamed this or something I don't know it was just weird so I leave him and I'm telling my wife Diane about this Mr. Ruggieri was talking really crazy about some guy eagle and had a snake in its mouth or something and she's like yeah that is kind of weird now at this point we had driven from Ben Salem Pennsylvania to Hatboro Pennsylvania we lived in Hatboro and it was about oh I don't know 30 40 minute drive you folks out there in Pennsylvania you, you know what I'm talking about you know the distance right <laughs> so imagine this I had this conversation with Ozzy. It wasn't really a conversation. It was more like me standing there listening to him just talk. (laughs) But standing in Ben Salem, listening to Mr. Ruggieri talk (laughs) about this eagle and this snake, and he's just going on and on. (laughs) And he doesn't, the way he talks is he doesn't get excited or anything. So he's just talking in a monotone. Uh, Let me see if I can do it. So I was down there, and then I saw the snake. Uh, there was a snake, and I was looking at the snake, and this eagle come by. Uh, it was an actual eagle. It come by, and it flew down, took this thing in its beak, and flew off. And, e- and the snake, you know, was trying to fight the eagle. And There's, like, no excitement. So you're like, no, this isn't real, because, because if this had really happened, you know, there would be some emotion in his voice, and there wasn't. So we leave Ben Salem. We go back home to Hatboro. Now, uh, you know, we made a couple stops, and now like an hour and a half has passed. And we're driving through uh, Hatboro, through this residential area. And we stop. And when we stop, uh, my wife Diana was driving. When we stop, I kind of casually look out the passenger side window into the yard that we've just stopped at. And guess what I see? I see this gosh darn eagle that Mr. Ruggieri was telling me about like an hour and a half before. We're now 40 miles away from where he claimed to saw this. And we just happened to stop in front of this yard and there's that eagle with that snake in its mouth. In In the front yard of these people's house sitting there gnawing on this snake i i couldn't believe it to this day i can't believe it the odds of that what are the odds that mr ruggieri telling me this far-fetched story about this eagle and the snake (laughs) that he saw 40 50 miles away would later carry this thing to a yard and drop down into this yard to finish off this snake where my wife and I later drive randomly drive and end up in front of these people's house and there's that eagle that Mr. Ruggieri was telling me about like an hour and a half earlier does that not blow your mind it to this day it still blows my mind you know there are some coincidences in life are just so random and mind-boggling sometimes but that's a true story 
me listen uh, Mr. Ruggieri talk about this eagle and the snake and me going I don't know what the where is his brain at this morning us leaving that conversation driving 40 miles uh, back to Hatboro stopping in front of this yard in this residential area and there's the eagle with the snake that Ozzy was blabbering on about earlier that I thought was just total nonsense talk unbelievable <sighs> anyway I hope you found that interesting because it still makes me shake my head I just can't believe it I just can't believe that I mean I should have played the lottery that day because it was so random never in a million years if I had tried to go out and find that eagle I would have never found it. And here I was just driving random. And, you know, over an hour later, and there's that eagle. Anywho, that's the story. I miss Mr. Ruggieri, and uh, maybe one of these days I'll reach out to him and hopefully uh, reconnect and reestablish our friendship because he's a good guy. And I wonder how he's doing nowadays. Eh? It's been 10 years, and you know, you, you weren't no spring chicken back in. I hope you folks have a wonderful week. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and uh, you all take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.